This morning, uh, we're going to take a break from our study through Genesis, and we're going to do a message called Decisions. Decisions. You know, there's been a, a lot of talk with a few friends and I. A few friends and I are going through different things in life that all require pretty big decisions. Decisions that would change the course of your life and of those around you. Um, it's just been something that's been on my heart lately, and especially this past week with different things that have gone on with us and having to make decisions. Uh, it's just heavy on my heart to share this this morning, especially as I see and I look around at uh, Christians who I would think are good people and people who maybe aren't Christians and make decisions. Even myself, who I'm not even saying here that I claim that I make the best decisions all the time or that I'm the wisest guy out there. I'm, I, in fact, I think it's probably the opposite. I make the poorest decisions on my own, especially before I knew the Lord. I made awful decisions, terrible decisions. But I think that's probably why I like this topic and the way the Bible instructs us and why I, I hopefully am getting more dependent on God to make the decisions for me as I get older. But what I notice among Christians that a lot of us maybe don't know how to make decisions. Or maybe as I've looked through the scripture and see the way God expects us to make decisions and the way God wants us to turn to him and look to him and what as believers we're supposed to trust in for our decision making, I don't see that happening too much. I see a lot of decisions, small and big, by not just one or two people, but by a lot of people that I wonder, wow, is that the decision that a Christian would make? You know, I, I see someone wearing a Christian t-shirt, but then something else about what's going on, I wonder, is that the decision that God would have you wear or do? And not that I'm the best dressed or best looking, that's not the point, but as far as appropriateness about is this the way you should conduct yourself as a believer? And again, you know, we're at all different stages of maturity and things, and I am very immature, and I need instruction and wisdom and counsel. I have to wonder, man, if, if we truly say what, believe what we say we believe and believe that God knows all the answers and that God is outside time and omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent, how come we don't turn to him to make the decisions for us more. My kids make some pretty good decisions. When I ask Jacob what he wants for a snack, a lot of times he won't say ice cream, he'll say an apple or a cheese stick. And I'll be the one going for the ice cream. And I go, man, I could learn a lot from my little boy who is making a good decision without even really realizing it. There's other times my kids want to do something and I say no, or even then, the things that I have to worry about, they don't even have to worry about at all. Because that's my job as, as their father, to, to take those things off of them. But as we get started, and I hope I don't go over, I hope this is a concise and good message, but how do you make a decision in life? How do you make a decision in life? You know, everything in life is a decision. Every single choice you make is a choice based on a decision. You've gone one way or the other. Think about just the next words I'm going to say, what I'm going to do. Am I going to take this watch off that's bothering me or not? I think I'm going to take it off. There, I made a decision. And now the course of the rest of the message is altered because my left hand is, you know what I mean? There's like every little thing 
is a decision. There's lots of factors. Cost. You go and you stand at the menu and you look. Like I was at McDonald's yesterday with my son Jake after we ran some errands because we had a little bit of a long car ride and I wanted to kind of reward him and spend a little time with him. And I'm looking and I'm like, man, I really want a Big Mac, but it's almost $9. I'll get the two cheeseburger meal. But if I didn't take him to McDonald's for having me up and I was really going to get fast food, I'd probably go to Burger King's. I can get two cheeseburger meal for a dollar and a half cheaper there. So these things, cost is one thing that drives our decision making. Well, it should. And some people say money's no object. And they say, I want the most expensive thing. And so they spend that. There's also benefits or the appeal of it. You know, you make a decision. Well, I would like to do this. So, you know, if you want to lose weight, you're probably not going to go to McDonald's at all. You're going to eat that celery. And I should probably do that. And my friend Mario would love all the celery. Or the appeal of it. Well, that looks good. That tastes good. That's why I want it. It feels good. And so you make a decision that's probably not the best. But with that, some decisions can be fun. I don't know if you guys ever went to... Well, I know you did. You went to... Uh, Six Flags and other amusement parks and make a decision. Which ride should we go on first? Or which movie should we watch tonight? Or which ice cream flavor? Well, why should I have to decide? I'll have both. There can be some real good decisions in life, especially in business. You do market research before you launch a product or how to better target an audience. You interview a candidate to make sure that they're the right one. You interview several, sometimes several interviews to make sure that you're hiring the right person for the job. Not just because they can do the job, but that they're going to fit in, in a sense, and not uh, burn the place down. <laughs> that they're going to be responsible. You're going to check on your return on investment. All these things they might do in business. That the business says, we've got this amount of dollars to spend. Is it going to give us a return? As my boss says, is the juice worth the squeeze? Are you going to get enough out of what you're putting your time and effort and energy into? And if that works in business, that should work in life as well. There's all sorts of analytics that you run. It's actually the more you know about the le the, the, <laughs> the less you kind of want to be involved in, in certain things. The less you want to go to the store and buy things because you realize that they're targeting you and trying to figure you out. And the best way to market to you individually to get you to buy. You know, advertising is all about getting you to make a decision. You know, we have something called a funnel where we lead someone through a path that we want them to take ultimately to make a decision to purchase give you selling points or in cases the famous case in the design world about Apple where it's all this vanity and this beautiful design and stuff just to give you a computer it does the same thing as every other computer but you'll pay a premium because it looks so nice and it feels so nice and they market it so nice but a lot of times these things are motivated by greed I'm not saying it's wrong to profit or capitalism bad but I'm saying a lot of these things, you wonder why different companies do different things because they want to make more money. It's not because they want to make a better product. It's because they want to make more money. And how do they make more money? Well, you give it to them. But again, there's nothing wrong with that. But I couldn't be a salesman. I worked at a credit union for a while and they wanted me to sell loans and credit cards to people and try and push it on them when they came to just make a deposit. I'm like, I just, I can't do that. I can't get you to go into debt just because someone wants me to get more quota on sales. Maybe, yeah, if you need a credit card and it's a good decision for you to have it and to build your credit and use it to make a purchase and all these other things, that's fine, but I, I'm not just going to push it on you. 
But everything in life, again, is a decision. What's on the menu? What should I wear today? What should we do after church? The order you're going to do errands in. I, I plan out, well, this place is here. This place is there. This is the most efficient route. I can get it all done. Not have to make the most turns. You know, a friend of mine is a UPS driver. And uh, it's not so much out here, but usually more in the cities. They, the computer tells them which way to go so that they're making the most efficient route. They're always making left-hand turns or something, or right-hand turns because it's easier. You don't have to wait. But dare I say it, 2020, what decision are you going to make? What vote are you going to do? But Jesus says, and we've read this a million times, in Matthew 6, 30-34, Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. A lot of times we make a decision because we're trying to meet our own need. And sometimes we make the wrong decision because we rush into it. But if we remember that God knows what we need and he knows better than us, then perhaps we'll wait on him. And Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You'll have something to eat. You'll have something to wear. You'll have something to drink. It'll be the best thing for you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And boy, being on Sunday, I don't even want to think about tomorrow. I know I'm going to open up my email. I know there's going to be changes. I know we're going to have routes. I know we're going to have all new work and deadlines and pressure. You know, I don't have to worry about that today. Even more so. You know, I could get a phone call at any minute that they're going to give us 30 days notice and we don't still have a house yet. But I know that God has something for us. And you know what? Today's got enough trouble. I just got to get through the rest of this message. That's the only trouble I'll be in. But decisions are more than choices. They can truly be more than a success or mistake. They can be downright failures. They can cost lives. They can be accidents. But they can also be sinful. Where it's not just a mistake and accident, but you've sinned. And maybe you didn't mean to, but it's still a sin. Worse than that, they can be willful transgressions. You know the right thing to do, and you decide to do the wrong thing. Like a story I tell my kids about, even yesterday, about when I was a little boy, and I was up in a tree with friends, and we were picking berries. And I knew it was the wrong thing to do, but we saw a car coming, and we dumped all the berries on the car, and chaos ensues. I knew the wrong thing. I knew the right thing, and I still did the wrong thing. But decisions can also be wise. Decisions can be holy. They can be just and they can be fair. But Matthew 7, 3, 7, 13 through 14, excuse me, says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There's many decisions you can make that are going to go the wrong way. There's many paths you can take in life, many choices you can do that might be easy, might be hard. They might be sinful, and they're not going to heaven. There's many ways that they might be, you might even be encouraged to go in. And there are many who go in by it, and they lead to destruction, Jesus says, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. I think there's few Christians who, few people who become Christians to begin with, but then even as believers, few who continue on to the end and who have really gone the right path in their walk. How many of us have been tripped up by something? I think all of us. 
man, how many have really stunted their growth and made bad decisions that really have kept them back? Not from your best life now, Joel Steen, but really from your best life now and an eternity that you, not necessarily that you don't have that Ferrari, but man, you don't have that spiritual Ferrari in your life. Because the most important decision, number one, is Jesus. It's salvation. But it's more than what we think of in our society. Make a decision for Christ. And I think when Billy Graham said it, he meant it and it meant the right thing. But I think a lot of Christianity says make a decision for Christ. And it's not just adding Jesus. Oh, I decide, yes, Jesus, I'll go to church. These things are good. But it's not just one decision. It's the foundation decision. It's the decision that everything else will be built on. Like Jesus said, uh, he's the, the cornerstone that the builders rejected. That he's the one that everything else is built on. And it's truly following him. It's not just one decision. It's a decision that affects the rest of your life from now until eternity. And even everything around you. And it should affect everything else. Your job, your marriage, your education, what you do for fun, what you look like. Not that you need to wear a robe and become a nun or all these things. Maybe. Not that you need to look like everyone else. Certainly not. But that it's becoming like him. You're not just choosing him and putting him as your co-pilot. You are becoming a Christian, a little Jesus. You are deciding to identify with Jesus in everything about your life. It's who you are. You are not separated from him. It's not Jesus and Tim. It's Tim in Jesus. It's becoming totally beholden to his decisions, his choices for our lives. That when we seek to get a decision... It shouldn't be ours. It should be, God, what is your choice? Let me discern your choice. Tell me what your choice for my life is. Is this what you would choose for me, God? Because I am in your life. Is this what you would do if you were me, Jesus? Because truly you are in me. It is not, God, would you bless my decision? This is what I want to do. Would you just kind of give it a little more gas, Lord? And he will. He might. He's gracious, and I read a great devotion the other day about how God is not going to force you to do anything. If he tells you what to do and you don't do it, he's not going to make you. I tell you what, it will be better for you. Because following Jesus is not choosing a ministry. I want to be an evangelist. I want to be a pastor teacher. I want to do this. I want to be on TV. But sincerely, it's accepting the ministry that he has for you. And it's not separate. It's not a job. Ministry is not a job. So many people, maybe churches, treat it like a job. It's not it. It's just who you are. Jesus didn't have a job. It was just his life. It was private until he was 30. He was at home. He was the carpenter's son. He was Mary's son. He had brothers and sisters. He ministered to them. And then one day he began to show who he was to others publicly. And not because it was his job. It was because who he was and his father. And he waited and waited and waited until it was the right time. Shouldn't he have he been doing it all those 30 years? He was, but not in the same way. It was time for those last three years of his life would be the most impactful. He waited for God's time. And the second biggest decision perhaps in your life is your spouse. Hopefully you'll make that decision only once in your life. Unless it's by death or some other reason like that. but Because this person is going to do more than share your life with you. Say, oh, two, we're going to share our lives. We're going to do life together. 
you're not doing life together as sweet as that is and as great as that is and probably as even as I've said that I've said to my wife before I got married are you sure you want this life and I don't even think I knew what I was saying because you and your spouse would literally become one person it's not two lives lived together it's one life shared and to be in sync together new people new children would be created by it. we just had our fourth baby the decision to marry my wife and my wife to marry me which I wasn't making a mistake but maybe she was <laughs> has created four people four lives that will be lived that will grow up that one day perhaps will have their own children if I ever let them out of the house but these kids these lives are impacted by a decision that my wife and I made and how important it is that we're the right people for each other and if we weren't, that God would make us the right people for each other. Because communities, even the world, would be affected one way or another by it. My kids could grow up to be presidents, missionaries, doctors, or they could grow up to be drug dealers, mob bosses, and I pray they will never do that. But sincerely, their lives will affect the world. They are the next generation. But most of all, your spouse will either lead you to or away from the call the Lord has in your life. Even if you're following the Lord and they don't lead you away, they might get in the way. They might prevent you. Especially on the big decisions. You want to go what? You want to move where? You want to say what? Imagine if my wife didn't believe the same things I believed and I tried to teach some tough things from the pulpit. She said, I don't think you should say that. One day it may come, well, she should say that. Maybe I was saying the wrong thing. But imagine if her will and her thing and her ideas about what was right and wrong were completely different than mine. Could I even stand at the pulpit? But decisions affect and effect more than, more than just you and I. A lot of times we think that we live on an island, that what we do in our own or our private or what else doesn't affect anyone else, but it does. Even if you don't think it was, there's no secret thing that won't be broadcast. I mean, just look at the news and find out all these things that people have tried to keep secret for so many years, and now they're headline news and they're going to jail. But they affect more on you and I. They have long-lasting repercussions, spelled wrong in my notes, effects and benefits. The things you and I choose to do today will not only affect us today and tomorrow, but potentially the rest of our lives. I'm looking at my life now. I'm coming up on my midlife crisis. It's probably my wife's saying, you've been going through midlife crisis through 25. But the point is, there are choices I made and didn't make early on in life that I go, man, maybe I would have done differently. And if I'd known that then, I would have been in a better place now, perhaps. But the other side of that, anytime I start going down that road, the Lord kind of reminds me, well, I saved you. And I've been calling the shots since then. And you are where you are because you did what I wanted you to do. And I'm going to take care of it. And I think I'd go down that other road when I start perhaps doubting that God is, is going to provide for me for some reason or, doubt, or thinking that I need to do more in my own strength. And usually it's because I wish I had more money or more property. And speaking of which, when it comes to buying a house, I mean, just personally, sharing what we're going through, it's going to be the place we spend the next number of years. It could be the place we spend the rest of our lives. I'd love to buy a house and live there for the rest of my life and never have to think about it again, never have to move again, never have to go through a turmoil. And just in any time I put into it would just be everlasting and for my kids and not just so that I can flip it one day and get more equity, but that it would just be a nicer place to live. 
I mean, the Lord could change our course a year from now, five years from now. I don't, I don't think he will. I think everything he's shown us that we're going to be here a long time. But you never know. And maybe if I buy the wrong house and God wants us to move in five years, we won't be able to sell that house. That's one thing why I haven't bought a house because I haven't wanted to deal with that. And I've wanted to be free to go wherever he wanted me to go. And I have been free. But wherever we buy, it's a place where our kid's going to grow up. Is it going to be good for them? Is it going to be safe for them? Is it going to be healthy for them? And, is it, you know, I want the best for them. These are my kids. I want to bless them. And even if it's not the fanciest house, it, I just wanted to know that it's the right house, the house that God has for us. They're going to look, this is going to affect their whole lives. It's going to be the one, the house that they look back on. And I'm probably putting too much stake into it, but sincerely, who are our neighbors? I don't know. Maybe they're a good person. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're rowdy. Maybe they're not. It's going to affect how long it takes us to drive anywhere, to get to church, to get to the store. It's going to affect every aspect of our lives. It's going to be where people come and stay with us when they come to visit or move out here. I want it to be the right place, the best place. And I know that in my own strength, as I've looked, I go, everything that I think I need, I can't afford. It's expensive to get everything we want and need. But I know even like when I came out here to, to first move out here, God provided a place that I could never afford. It's been a blessing. And I'm not saying I'm going to have a mansion like our rental place is, but I know that in some sense I will because it'll be God's place for us. And it'll be bigger and better than I could ever imagine. And even if it's one of the places we've seen already and I just haven't been able to say yes to, well, God changes up my heart and says, this is it, then I'll be happy there and content. But I have to know that it's from Him. Because I know that He can do better than me and He knows better than me. And it's a lot of money. But James 4, 13 through 17 says, Come now, you say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But, no, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. It's arrogant to think we can make long-term decisions. It's arrogant to think we know what's going to happen tomorrow or next year. And that's how we want to base a lot of our decisions. Well, is the market going to turn? Is my investment going to grow? If I put money into this stock or this thing, is it going to go? What's going to happen? What's going to happen in the world politics? So people try divination. We've been trying it since the very beginning, trying to pretend we're God, figure out the future, fortune telling, fortune cookies, horoscopes, crystal balls. All to try and make a decision, the best decision to get what we want, if we could just see the future and know some answer from the ether. But Leviticus 19.26 says, So you shall not eat anything with the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. Don't be a witch. Jeremiah 14.14, 14, The Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy. These are the people supposedly of God. He says, they prophesy to you a false vision. It's not what God sees. It's not what God's saying is going to happen. A divination. This is not what God is saying is the right choice. A worthless thing and the deceit of their heart. That these people will tell you, live your best life now. Just come and give money and you'll be blessed and we'll send you a prayer rug. They're false. They're sending you deceit of their heart. As the Bible even might say, doctrines of demons. Do you really want to get a doctrine of demons? Do you want to go to a 
a soothsayer or a witch and have her tell you what a demon says, 99.9% .9 of the time, those guys are going to be fake. But when you find the real one and they're communicating to you something that a demon wants you to believe, you might have power. You might become top of the world. You might be the biggest movie star, but you're listening to the enemy. And guess what? After you die, it's not going to be so good anymore. And even in the world, we try and do these things. Maybe we don't turn to witchcraft anymore, but we're turning to artificial intelligence. We're building computers so powerful that they can think billions of times faster than you and I. The stock market already runs on it. The stock market largely runs on computers that trade with each other and they act so fast. There's basically just a kill switch. Predictions, trying to predict this digital crystal ball of what's going to happen. Think in China, where they're now tracking, giving people smartwatches to track them. Think about the NSA and the metadata. Oh, the metadata doesn't matter. Yes, it does. They know who you talk to, where do you go, what do you do. They're tracking you. They're trying to predict who you are and what you're going to do. And will you do something that they don't like? Yeah, maybe it's terrorism. And of course, we want to stop someone who's bombing and doing something evil. When you look at the government and look at the way the world will... What happens if they find out you're going to church? Think that's not realistic? Look at China. You can't go to church. North Korea, you can't be a Christian. The Middle East, cutting your head off. Think it's not real? Well, just turn a couple pages to the back in Revelation and look at something called the beast. Look at how everyone has to get a mark. They can't buy or sell. And they'll be beheaded if they don't worship him, if they want to worship God. Didn't seem, seem very far-fetched, and how's that going to work? But now we've got more than enough technology to do it, and, and more than just technology to do it, people want it. Elon Musk is creating a brain interface so you can be one with AI. There's a, someone starting a church of AI, because think about it. If we create this ultimate intelligence like Google, but it thinks for itself and it talks for itself, are you not going to worship it? Oh, mighty Google, what, will, what should I do with my life? What should I put my money in? What's the right thing to think? What's right? What's wrong? Might seem a little funny right now, but I think we're awfully close in that uncanny valley. But what cracks me up is things like weather simulations. We try and predict what the weather is, but I'm living out here, you know, you can't predict the weather. It'll rain here, and two miles down the street, it won't be raining at all. And the best thing is that they think they know what's going to happen 50 years from now with the weather, when they don't even know what's going to happen Tuesday. I don't know if you remember, if you still have on a magic eight ball, you shake it up and look over and say, Outlook, not so good. Or yes, definitely. You're like, oh, okay, I will ask little Sandy to the dance. <laughs> But this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Proverbs 16.33. The lot, or the dice, is cast into the lap, but it's every decision from the Lord that you can't even have random chance. And you look in the computers, there's no such thing as random. You can try and fake it using a random number generator, but it's even that, it's truly not random by definition. Because God controls everything. Every number that comes up, God knows it. I think you're going to roll a dice, and God's going to go, oh, I had no idea it was going to be a six. He knows exactly what it is. 
In fact, he gave the Israelites something I think was very interesting. It's called the Urim and Thummim. And we don't, too much, don't know too much about them, but in Exodus 28, 30, he says, You shall put in the breastplate of judgment. That's what the priest would wear. The Urim and the Thummim. And they shall be over Aaron's heart. He was the priest when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. So the priest would wear the breastplate. And inside he had these two things, maybe two stones. One's called Urim and means lights. The other one calls Thummim, which means perfection. And they were kept in this little pouch and he put his hand in there and said, God, just like you might to the magic eight ball, what do you want us to do? And he pulled one out of the other. And I don't know if it was like a yes or a no or what it meant, but the will of God was revealed. That when they had certain decisions they had to make, not all of them, but certain, that's how they would figure out what God wanted them to do. Because guess what? God had control about which one he was going to pick up. It's almost like Schrodinger's cat. You know, it's, it's, it's both things at once until you pull it out. And even the other day, going through all these decisions I have to make that are big and pressure's on, I'm kind of thinking, sitting on the couch, I think my family's napping, I'm going, I wonder if I could use an urim and thum today. I mean, I know we're kings and priests, right? And sometimes I think it would be nice just to be able to stick my hand in my shirt, pull out a stone, and go, oh, that's a yes. Oh, definitely that's a no. Just to reveal the will of God like they were supposed to do. But you know what? If I had those things... I begin to worship them and worship the process. I don't know if you ever, I was watching Batman again the other day, but there's this villain in Batman, he's called Two-Face, where he's got one face is scarred, the other face is not, and he always flips a coin, and that's how he makes every decision in his life. And if we had a coin to flip like that, a holy coin, we begin to worship the coin and not the maker. But you know what? These coins were meant to be, <laughs> the Urim and Thummim was meant to be over his heart, between the breastplate, the breastplate of righteousness, right, and judgment, between his heart, that the answers of God would be on his heart, would be close to his chest, would be something intimate that, you know, he could go and look and only him know, like when he play cards, right? And God wants us to know that, that through all this, God wants to know him, not just to have his decision, but to know him and, and be like, well, God, what would you do? And not just what is this holy, right, wrong answer out of the Bible, but what is God's answer for me personally? You know, I asked God for a simple yes or no, and I read the Bible yesterday, and God said, be still. And it lined up with some verses I had on waiting in the morning, and then I read the Bible, and I'm like, all right, maybe it doesn't mean wait. And then I opened up my devotional, uh, almost for his highest, and it was about waiting on the Lord. I'm like, all right. But I still wasn't convinced. And Man, the breastplate of judgment, it's God's judgment, God's decision for the people of Israel. You know, Moses had to make all these decisions for them, but God ultimately wanted to be intimately involved with the nation's decisions because he was their king and he would guide them if they would just let him. That's the same for you and me. God wants to guide you intimately, personally, but we have to let him. Isaiah 30, 21 says, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. And whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. And Psalm 32, 8 and 9 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. God's saying, imagine I'm walking with you. And, you, you know, there's a fork in the road, and you don't know where to go. You don't even be like, God, which way do I go, left or right? You just kind of look at him, and he'll come, kind of give you a look, and you'll know. He'll look over there with his eyes. You'll see where God is looking, and that's where, how you'll know. He says, don't be like a horse or a, an animal that needs something in its mouth to pull it this way or that. 
you know, our friend and realtor uh, is training a new horse for her riding uh, demonstrations. And a lot of times he tries to go the other or does something wrong when they have to turn. And so she said it's like a struggle to like pull him and try and turn at the same time. And God says, don't be like that. Don't be where I have to treat you like an animal or where you're, you just feel like an animal going through life, tugged around, not knowing where to go. And things come up and push you and punch you and kick you to get you going the right way. It's hard to kick against the goads, God says, right? But some of us need to be harnessed with a bit and bridle because we have no understanding in how to make a decision, no wisdom. And that's probably the way we are when we come to know the Lord. We're stubborn. We don't know what we're doing. And so we kind of like, oh, what do I do? Oh, we, go. we make all these mistakes. And as we begin to listen to the Lord, begin to know him more, it becomes a little bit easier, a little less painful. Might still be a trial and judgment and tough things to go through, but at least we won't have a bridle in our mouth. And think about people who make awful decisions. They're forced to go to jail with their hands tied. And their bad decisions led them into narrow places, even solitary confinement, where they can't go anywhere anymore. And sin will do the same thing to you and I. We may not be in jail physically, but perhaps our sinful decisions have put us in jail spiritually and know that God can free you from that jail and that prison. No matter what you're beholden to, he can get you out if you'll but let him. You might have to stay in jail for the rest of your life, but you might be the freest person in that jail. You know, the nation of Israel, God had to use their enemies to get them to go in the right direction. Pharaoh had to chase them over the Red Sea. God made the way, and God brought them out there, and God protected them. But they kept going, we want to go back. We had it really good. What? You were crying for 400 years to get out of that. Sometimes that's us. We're so dumb and stubborn and foolish that we have to be pushed out of our, out of our comfort zone to get to the promised land that God has for us. Hard times can direct us. And sometimes God uses them to direct us because we weren't wise to avoid them. Like Proverbs talks about going to the ant, you sluggard. In Proverbs 6, 1 through 11, read it later for yourself. There's some more there that's good. But really, the whole thing is, you're in trouble right now because you haven't prepared. Do a little preparation. It'll save you later. Like that saying, you know, if you are faithful to take care and maintain something, you're blessed with something that is reliable. You know, you need to get wisdom for making decisions. Read Proverbs, read Ecclesiastes, read Psalms, read the entire Bible. But these books are so full of practical insight, you'll be amazed. Because things should be obvious. But you know, sometimes they're not. Because our decision-making processes are blinded by our own desires, our own fears. So let God open your eyes and be wise. Because good decisions lead us into wide places where there's a lot of freedom. Psalm 18, 19 says, He has also brought me into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. That although there's a narrowness in following Jesus, a narrow path that few are that find it, and it's difficult. I know there's a difficult path to follow Jesus, that there's going to be hard decisions I have to make, and it's really only going to be one decision I can make, and I can't stray at all from it to keep following him. Sometimes it's the only choice, and sometimes it's hard to discern which narrow path I have to go down. You know what? God is always going to show me that way. He's always going to give me a way out, the scripture says. And John Corson says, love God and do what you want. Well, doesn't that make it a wide thing? No, sometimes when you love God and do what you want, it is 
the narrowest, tiniest thing you can only do. Because doing anything else other than the thing you know would be the right thing, the holy thing, the thing that Jesus is doing and you want to go with him is not anything you want. Because usually when you do anything you want, you mean it's lusting to fill your own desires. But when you do love God and you do what he wants, that's what you want. It's ultimately the desire of your heart. God will give you desires of your heart and you won't be able to get them in your own strength. But guess what? As you follow him and seek him in his righteousness, he's going to give you the desires of your heart. I have no idea how I would have gotten to Montana and lived out here and be living the dream, so to speak, if I wasn't following Jesus. Because he made so many things and so many little decisions over the past years, even before that, to get us out here and things I never would have done or trusted or thought about to get us here that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. And when we do what he wants, there's immense freedom because knowing that he is making that narrow decision for you and I, it's incredibly freeing because we always know that we're going to get the best, better than we would have done of our own. And we know that it's the only way because he's the way. So as we're getting closer to the end here, how can we make good decisions then? And not one of these things that we're going to talk about in a minute is necessarily more important than the other, not necessarily in any order other than seeking God first over advice from people, that we should always seek Him first. Always get advice from God first and then get advice from others. But all these things need to work in conjunction. It's kind of like it's chicken or egg. You know, they, they can't be separated. But number one, don't listen to your heart. No matter what anyone says, follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Your heart is wicked. Ultimately wicked. Ultimately deceitful. Where do all these things proceed from? They proceed out of the heart of man, God says. Don't listen to your heart. And we need to have patience. When it comes to making a decision, we need to wait. We need to consider all the things before us. You know, sometimes it seems like a real good idea, and you're all excited about it, and you go to sleep, and the next day you wake up and you go, I do not want to do that. What was I thinking? Your heart tends to be more open in the morning. So even in a practical sense, apart from God, so to speak, the world knows to sleep on a decision. Smart people sleep on their decisions. But as a believer, don't bow to pressure. Someone has a used car dealership. Buy now. Someone else, I got someone else to come look at this thing later. Okay. Well, if they buy it, they buy it. And it wasn't meant for me. But you need a car. Well, God will get me the right one for me. And if... It's not here tomorrow, and if I go home and pray, and it's okay to get it, and I come back, and it's not here, well, I know it wasn't for me. Because we need to hear from God if it's right, because maybe that car's a lemon. Maybe you can't afford that payment, and God's going to get another car for you. I almost bought a car a couple years ago for my wife, and God provided a car for free. I waited. I listened. I saw it. And again, it wasn't even in my own strength. So I offered to pay for it. I expected to pay for it. I wanted to. Next thing is one of the most important ones. It's prayer. Because we can't expect to hear an answer to our question, our problem. If we haven't expressed it. If we haven't asked it. You have not because you ask not. And even if we did hear an answer, we probably wouldn't believe it. 
we hadn't asked God for it. Because we shouldn't seek God just for the answers. We need to seek Him for Him. So we seek Him for the answers. We get caught up in the answers. We miss the point of the Scripture. We get blindsided and we end up reading into things and looking for signs. So don't look for signs. You don't need a fleece. You just need to be with your shepherd. And in fact, when we pray and we begin to seek the answers and direction for other people's problems, other people's questions, other people's decisions, other people's lives, we find freedom. And you know what? He begins to reveal what he has for us anyway. And we end up getting something better. If we pray for just our own needs, maybe we'll get something that meets our own needs. But if we pray for other people's needs, guess what? We're going to have something that meets our needs and we're able to bless others with it as well. The next one would be devotional time in the Bible. The morning, the evening, whenever. I'd, I'd recommend the morning and evening as much as you can, but at least make it regularly. Make it first thing. Make it last thing. Read a devotional. Read your Bible. Just read it. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. You don't have to read Leviticus at 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I mean, if you're brave, you might. There's some stuff. To, there's definitely some stuff to get out of there. It'll, it'll either wake you up or put you back to sleep. I'll tell you that much. When it comes to reading the Word of God, there's two things there for us. There's the rhema and the logos. The logos is sort of the written word. It is what it is. It says what it says. The plain interpretation. But then there's the rhema, where you're reading, and the Spirit of God like, basically puts a highlighter on the page and says, you're not even looking sometimes, and it just sticks out and hits your heart. And This is the answer. This is the answer. Wait. Do. Don't. For a time, I won't share, but I have a million stories and stuff like that. Psalm 119, 9 through 12, it says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word, by listening and obeying the Logos. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word, your Logos, and your Rhema I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. How can you expect to make right godly decisions if you don't know just the basics of what the Bible says? If you don't know what the scripture says, God will remind you of it, but he can't remind you of it if you don't know it. We need to live in the Bible, like I said to my kids. One way we do that is we open it and we live in it, but then we also apply it because obeying God's word is the only way to truly know him. We can know the scriptures, but we don't truly know them until we've obeyed them. Because until we've obeyed them, we don't really know anything. Next thing you do is listen to messages. Listen to other people teach the Bible. Pastors. Learn. Grow in that word. Let God speak to you. Pick the right pastors. You know, I didn't go to Bible college, but I listened. I'm not saying I listened enough, but I used to commute an hour, hour and a half each way every day, and I would listen to Bible teachings the whole way there, the whole way back, and worship, and pastor's perspective, and all these things. I got so much instruction. It's still not enough. But listen to the pastors who truly teach the Bible, not with itching ears telling you what you want to hear, what sounds good, what feels good, what tastes good, even the most popular churches and all. They have everything we need, but they don't teach you the Bible. You don't need a coffee cup. You don't need a fancy pew. You don't need a thousand people. You don't need the trendiest pastor and the best worship team. You need a place to go where you can hear the Bible and hear it taught and loved and encouraged to follow Jesus. Don't follow those who are chasing trends and chasing followers. Follow them as they follow Jesus. Next thing is fellowship. Be friends with other Christians, other believers. Let the good ones influence you and influence them back. 
Pick your friends wisely. I have friends who aren't Christians and I have friends who are Christians. And there can be influence both ways. But you know what? At the end of the day, I, I'm, I all seek advice from all of them in some ways. It's good to do that in practical matters. But when it comes down to it, I'm going to get the, the truest advice from my closest companions in the Lord. Watch how they make their godly decisions. Like I started out, I said there's a couple people I know they are going making huge decisions. And I'm watching what they're doing. And I'm trying to help them. And they're praying for us. And I'm trying to keep them in the loop with us. Hey, buddy, I love you. And my little boy Timmy's looking at me. And I'm seeing what God's doing in them and, and how they make their decision, how they're praying and waiting and seeking God and trying to follow Him. Even if it means it costs them everything. Pick the right friends who go that narrow path. Doesn't mean don't be friends with other people, but follow them, do what they do. Counsel. Another thing is to get counsel, and this goes along with fellowship. That you want counsel, but the first counsel you want is from the Word of God. Wisdom itself, Proverbs says, offers counsel. Wisdom says, counsel is mine, and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. That wisdom personified is a thing that you need to get out of scriptures. Is a relationship you need to have in the Bible. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Proverbs 1.5. You want to be wise? Get counsel. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart, nevertheless the Lord's counsel that will stand. Listen to God's plans, not yours, Proverbs 19.20 says. In Proverbs 20.18, plans are established by counsel and by wise counsel wage war. You don't want to do something as big a decision as starting a war. You see, we're, almost, we're in a cold war with China. We're almost in a hot war. We're kind of in a hot war already with Iran and the UK. And it's getting hotter every day. I'm sure they're all seeking counsel right now. How do we do this? What's the wise way to do it? Where are we going to put our troops just in case something does happen? You don't want to go in there unprepared. It's going to be World War III, guys. The Bible says it. I don't know if this will be it, but at some point, these are kind of the nations that are going to be involved. But every decision is important. And remember that life is a war, and it's a spiritual war. And it's not against each other. It's against evil. It's against evil. We need to fight evil in our decision-making. Because every decision is important, even as little as to what toothpaste you should use. I remember I was getting all these canker sores. It turned out it was probably because of the toothpaste, something in the toothpaste, and I switched toothpaste. <laughs> I don't get them as much anymore. But it's also to as big as what your life is meant for. But you know what? You can pray about the little things, and you can pray about the big things. God cares about what toothpaste you use if it's bothering you. If you're overpaying for it, if it's hurting you. But only because he cares about you. He's not going to get mad if you use Colgate. <laughs> but he's going to be disappointed, not in you, but for you. If you choose a life that's just less than all the good things he has for you. I've got a I mean, that's the biggest thing. I don't think I don't know if I'd be disappointed in my kids, but I'd be I'd be disappointed for them if if God had so much for them, they chose something else, something that was lesser than His best for them. But the big things in life are they truly not the sum of the little things? You know, like for buying a house, I didn't really want to. They want to be tied down, but all these little things that have happened, all these little decisions I got to love me to make over the years have led up to a big decision of moving out here and wanting to buy a house, and even then having a long term goal so to speak for it although i'm open to what god has you know all these little decisions lead up to it 
a little decision to talk to Ashley, a little decision to keep talking to her, a little decision to text her, a little decision to text her back, a little decision to ask her out, you know? Bigger and bigger and bigger, and now we're here, and we've got four kids. Little decisions over and over and over make up big decisions, and they add up. And God doesn't want us to settle. Start today. No matter how many decisions you and I have made in life, good or bad, we have a decision to start right now. To make a good decision with whatever we're facing today in life, how big or how small it is, wait for the Lord. Get counsel. Spend time in your devotions. If you haven't spent time in your devotions yet, say, I'm sorry, look, I can't make a decision yet. I will call you tomorrow. And if they can't take it, well... Maybe it's on you. Maybe you should have thought about it. But you know what? It's better that way. It's better to, to not to enter into heaven maimed in the hellhole, Jesus says. It's better to make a decision to not do something, even if it might be a good thing, than to do it and not have a solid answer on it. Again, what's as little, if it's as little as what you're going to have for lunch or as big as who you're going to marry, even if you're supposed to get married this afternoon, go seek the Lord first. And if He says no... Don't do it. You don't want to be beholden to anything but Him, whether it's for the afternoon or for the rest of your life. It might be hard to change course. It might be hard to do that if you need to back out of that. But you know what? It's going to be a lot easier than going the wrong way or fighting it the rest of your life. Seek God. Read Proverbs. Read Ecclesiastes. Read the Bible. Decide today to let God show you the world the way He sees it. Let God show you this decision in front of you the way He sees it. Not the way you and I want to. Not the way you and I convince ourselves it's the right thing or not. Not the way advertising wants you to believe it is. Not the way the world wants to tell you how wonderful it is. Because you'll have your best life. And that's God's life for you. What better life that, that there could be in this life than to have eternal, everlasting, immortal life that goes on forever. If you haven't done that yet today, bow your knee to Him. Say, Jesus, I've been making wrong decisions. And I know now that they are sinful, and I probably knew then that they were sinful too. Thank you for coming after me. Please forgive me. Please make all the decisions in my life for me. Change me, God. Make me new. Give me your life. I don't want my life anymore. I'm sorry that it took so long for me to ruin my life, for me to want your life. Pray, God, that those who haven't ruined their lives yet wouldn't go wait that long. Or that's you. Follow him. Say, Lord, help me follow you all my days. And go the narrow path and lead others to you. And if that's you, you've prayed that while listening to this. God bless you. Find a Christian. Speak to them. Tell them. Tell your friends. And live your life. And read your Bible. Live in the Bible. We've got to pray for our friends and family and all of us who have to make big decisions that we would make the right ones, not based on salary or worries or fears, but on you. And if you say it's the right thing for us, it's the best thing. And thank you for your word that we can always trust you and turn to you for everything. God, be with those behind enemy lines and strengthen them and give them wisdom and peace and let them be the freest people there are in their country. And, uh, 
Love you, God. Bless our friends, our family, and your church in this day. In Jesus' name, amen.